Hi, I'm Danny LaRue of the Real GM Radio Podcast, and I'm taking the Milwaukee Bucks over the Atlanta Hawks in their Game 5 on Thursday. BetOnline has free odds and lines available online or on your mobile device. Visit BetOnline.net today. Live by Live has all of your favorite music, and you can listen for free. Whether you hit play on one of our hundreds of curated music stations or create your own custom artist radio station, you'll find the music you love on Live by Live. Visit LiveXLive.com or search LiveXLive in the App Store or Google Play and listen for free now. Hey everybody, welcome to a special pod box and I'm Evan Britton. And I'm Mike Tyson. And Mike, we've got a really awesome guest here yeah, today. Yeah, this is cool. I always watch his show. I watch yep. it with Jay-Z and that was really interesting. Yeah, he's now the man. Now we have him. This is so cool. He's I don't the man. know how one, this happened. One of my favorite guys from CNN, Van Jones. Welcome to the podcast, I'm, my I'm, brother. I'm, awesome. I thought you'd be, to be big for us and stuff. Uh, no, yeah. Come on. No, no, I this, know. This is the hottest podcast in the history of the podcast. I'm glad I to get in early. That. I love that. I'm glad I got, got in early. I love it, man. Well, just to further introduce you, you are the CEO of the Reform Alliance. The Reform Alliance is committed to advancing criminal justice reform and eradicating laws and policies that perpetuate injustice in the U.S. To achieve that objective, the Reform Alliance will strive to pass probation bills at the state level, use media to amplify the need for comprehensive reform, and build an inclusive, bipartisan alliance of leaders from business, entertainment, sports, and community industries who share a cohesive vision for ambitiously and efficiently transforming the criminal justice system. That's it. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, um, you know, this is something I've been uh, focusing on for about 25 years. I graduated from Yale Law School in 1993. And the year before that was uh, Rodney King, 92. Wow. And the year after that was uh, 94 Clinton crime bill. And so I'm a 24-year-old black wow. twenty-four year old black kid with a Yale law degree and dreadlocks down my back. And I was like, I feel like I'm under the target. I feel like, I, I feel like police brutality and, and um, this, this prison thing is aimed at me. And both political parties were in favor of building more prisons. It was the Bill Clinton crime bill. California right. passed three strikes and you're out. California, blue California, built 20 prisons and only one university over the course of about 25 years. Because somebody and, was getting wow. paid. Somebody exactly. Was, yeah, it's no doubt about yeah. that. Yeah, and so I was like, look, we're, we're the bait. I mean, we're, we're, we're just going to be, you know, the, the, the grist in the mill. I wanted to fight back. So I used my law degree uh, in Oakland to try to fight back. And I had to fight Democrats and Republicans because both parties were against us. And now, finally, 25 years later, both parties are coming around. And you got people like you know Jay Z and Robert Smith and Meek Mill, all these you know big big yeah. people coming around. And uh, I said I wanted to put my 25 years to use. Well, I think it's you're right on time, man. Yeah, man, it's crazy. Uh, it's it is crazy. So take me back because, as you say, you've been an activist for criminal justice reform for a long time. In Oakland, you co-founded the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights. Who's Ella Baker? Ella Baker is one of the great unsung civil rights heroines. You know, she uh, uh, when Dr. King was a young you know guy coming on the scene, created the uh, SCLC Southern Christian Leadership Conference. He hired her to run it because mm. she was a brilliant organizer. She'd been the NAACP. She'd been labor. She was a genius for organizing. But these young Black preachers was like, you know, she's like the black grandma. Just you know, do what we say. Mm. She said, what? <laughs> so she quit 
working for Dr. King, and that, later uh, that year, the students started sitting in spontaneously. And she said, they need organization. She said, I'm going to build a, a movement. I, I want to have leaders that are movement-centered leaders. I don't want a leader-centered movement. She said, Dr. King's trying to build a leader-centered movement. I want movement-centered leaders. So she interposed herself between the students and Dr. King. She said, Dr. King, you, you, you need to do what you're doing. I'm going to help these students. So the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee they did all that voter registration, all sort of stuff. Those were her young people. Nobody knows her name. So I wanted to give her some credit. Because a lot of times black women are the, the secret sauce that never get the name on the label. So we made the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights. Mm. You guys did a lot of super important work there. Um, tell me about Maurice Hudson. Yeah, you know, uh, just recently in um, Philadelphia, uh, you know, of course, Meek Mill, you know, he kind of yes. you know, got famously got sent to prison. Prison was supposed to be for four years. Luckily, we, we got him out because he was on probation and he popped a wheelie. That's it. That's it. I mean, it's not like he didn't like shoot nobody. He didn't rob a bank. He just was on probation, popped a wheelie, put it on Instagram. Boom. Four years in prison. So that started a whole fight in Philadelphia that probation is being abused. Probation is being misused. Uh, people are going back to prison for non-crimes. It's a spider's web of catch. Oh, man, I had a probation. I had this redneck probation in Ohio. I couldn't hang around Tupac or Bobby Brown. Stay away. You're violated. Yeah. Wow. I mean, so going back to your day. Telling you who you can hang out with. Yeah, this is my best friend. This is my partner at the time. Yeah. I can't hang out with Bobby Brown or Tupac. Violation right away. That's a violation. It would be anywhere around them. I I mean, and, and if they're telling you that, you know, where they tell him Pookie and Stoopy and Shanae on the street corner. I mean, like, you can't be with your cousin. You can't be. The reality of that is that is total control. Like, when he did that, Willie, it disgusted somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How dare that piece of dirt do that? Yeah. They don't. They sure don't know their place since Reconstruction. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to say it like that, but that's just how they looked at it. It's just, it's a shame that I have to say that people, it's a shame that I know how they think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know I mean, it goes back. Yeah. I mean, it does. that's a form of self-hate. The fact that I know the way that someone thinks about me, and I think about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, poison, it poisons your, your yeah. brain. But, but Maurice, the same judge that gave Meek Mill those uh, two to four years for popping a wheelie, also grabbed this, you know, lesser-known person named Maurice. He's a janitor. Yeah, he's a janitor. He had uh, two kids, you know, uh, special needs kids. Right. He's with the baby's mom. He's going to work every day. But, you know, those fees and fines pile up, and you have to try to pay them off. Well, he got $1,914 of unpaid fines. Yeah. She gave him two years in prison mm. for being too poor to pay $1,900. It's insane. And so and it was the same judge, Judge Brinkley, the same terrible judge. So uh, uh, Meek Mill jumped in, uh, uh, Michael Rubin from 76ers jumped in, uh, and we got him out. And, but it just goes to show you have bad judges, but you also have bad laws. Yeah. If you can change the laws, the judges can't do anything. But as long as you leave those bad laws on the book, a bad judge will find that bad law and abuse it. So we're now in Pennsylvania trying to change the law. Mm-hmm. So we've got a bill called uh, 1555 in the House, bipartisan. Uh, we've got a Representative Harris and Representative Delosier. He's black. She's white. He's a Democrat. She's a Republican. But they're working together to try and change some of these unjust probation laws so people don't – listen, if you're on probation or parole and you're out there committing new crimes, that's different. 
Right. But if you're just talking to your homeboy or you're 15 minutes late for a probation meeting or your aunt is sick and you go to check on her in the, in the so-called wrong neighborhood, you're not selling drugs over there. You're just checking on your – you shouldn't go to prison. People understand. You send somebody to prison. Oh, you're just going to send you for three months. Right. Well, hold on a second. Three months. Three months. Lock the door here in, in, for three months and see how you feel. And you had an apartment. Three months later, that apartment is gone. You had a little job. Three months later, that job is gone. Your children – Three months later, they're in foster care. So why do you think that is? I think it's because the whole way that the prison uh, industrial complex mass incarceration is built is built off of poor people, black people, and brown people that nobody cares about. If they Listen, I went to Yale. I saw more kids doing drugs at Yale <laughs> than I ever saw doing drugs in a housing project. But none of them went to prison. Nobody even called the police. If they got caught, they went to rehab. Right. They didn't go to prison. <clears throat> the cop cars would drive past Yale with the lights flashing, past Skull and Bones, past all these people doing these drugs to go to the housing project and put them in prison for a little bit. Or kill them. Or, or, or worse. And so you can't tell me. You can't, I'm hard to fool. You can't tell me that we don't know what to do with young people involved with drugs. Because if you're rich, you go to rehab or Europe and you come back and your life is fine. If you're poor... Black or brown, you go to prison. Mm. So we got all these nonviolent drug offenders that nobody wants to hire. But hold on a second. Show me the person who's not a nonviolent drug offender. Most people, <laughs> now, I'm, you know, I can say I've never been one, but most people at some point in their life, 17, 18, 24, last weekend, were nonviolent drug offenders. But they're in society, they're at the country club, they're at the yacht club, they're golfing, so they're okay. Mm. But they won't hire you because you are not. Because so all I'm saying is that you ask why. I think because we have dehumanized. I was just going to say that. I was saying, listen, you think you take it. Listen, I, I was reading. Um, I was looking at a, a, a slave documentary. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really slave. It was a black documentary about um, black people, and it showed during slavery, slave period, how they wrote. So eloquent, so nicely, how useful a slave is, and the blacks were so strong and useful in the mate. And then soon, slavery and reconstruction, they talked about how lazy they were. And so they changed, mm. they kept that perspective mm. on the world. And everybody, when we see, we expect to see a black man shot in the street. Mm. This is normal to us. It's not shocking, it's not um, resounding. Whoa, seeing that. No, this is what we're supposed to see a nigga get beat, a black woman get shot in the face, or some cop beating this black woman. We're not supposed to get. Mm. Shocked at that. That's that's why we show it every day. See, even yourself, you see it so much, you almost become numb to. It. You expect mm-hmm. that to happen. Mm-hmm. When it becomes shocking, then it becomes where people care. Mm-hmm. I remember when you know, back during the when Black Lives Matter first jumped off in 2013, and they would show the videos, and everybody would go crazy and stuff like that. Now, when I'm looking on my Instagram, if I see one of those videos, I almost go past it because it's just I've seen it too many times. It's like it's just too hard, and you don't know what to do. And mm-hmm. I know if I feel that way, a lot of people feel that way. It's become desensitizing. And, it be- and so we begin exactly. to participate um, in the normalization Even of Even though our- we march, but it, this is what yeah. we're accustomed to. They, we, they yeah. killed another black person. They raped another black We're accustomed to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just what we're accustomed to in yeah. the black community. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, the positive part is that people at least are starting to realize that, you know, this incarceration industry is what I call yes. it. The incarceration industry. Uh, trafficking in human bodies. 
Yeah. Right, so what do you do? So once we get them out of prison, what, but do we keep them off parole then? Probation? How do you work that system? How do you do when a guy's already spent 20 years in jail? How do you, how do you civilize him? Well, I mean, you got civilized society first, so we don't put people in prison for that long for minor stuff. And I know, but listen, we, that's going to be very. That's going to be that, that may take a minute. <laughs> but when yeah. we get, they can get out now. But when they get out now, now we have uncivilized people yeah. in what the community. Think, Excuse me. What do you think? I think um, I don't know. It really, it doesn't matter what I think. But my my way of thinking, if I ran a civilization, right. that people that come out of prison have to be in a program to get civilized in society. They can't just throw them out in society. You can't just throw them back. As a guy that's been in prison twenty years, fighting for his ass, stabbing and cutting people. And sometimes getting fucked, but next he's still fight, and now he's a savage. Now you go throw him in society, mm-hmm. and somebody may talk to him a certain way, and then he flips, he blows up. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, um, you know, we passed the First Step Act um, yes. last year, and um, they get seven thousand people have come home. Uh, there was one who who did wrong, and uh, and and uh, actually wound up. Now he's being charged with having killed somebody. So you, you're correct; that does happen. But there's six thousand nine hundred ninety nine who did who did come home and who have done a good job. So uh, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, when people are in prison. What are we doing? And a lot that one person sent the big impact. Yeah, that's agree. agree. Uh-huh. The big impact in six hundred and ninety nine that did good. Yeah, so that's what, so we have to like to make sure to tell the stories and lift up the stories of the ones who are doing well. Also, one of the most powerful things is more people are going behind the bars now to do literacy programs to talk to women who are mothers behind bars or whatever. And when they get behind there, they're like, "What the hell? Uh-huh. Are, are we spending taxpayer money creating this much pain and suffering?" And it's, that started to have an impact. But how do how do you stop them from being a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, stereotype to that pain, stuff, addicted to it. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm I'm addicted to prison. Trained. In it. I remember when I used to get locked up. I first got locked up in Spafford. I'm 12 years old, and I'm scared to death because I hear what they do to people in Spafford. But I'm on the streets. With all those kids, the wild kids. I'm on the street. I'm a ghetto kid. I've never been arrested. I've been arrested, but I've never went, been locked up before. And so I'm scared. I'm going up there. I hear why they're raping. They stab people up. They do up there. I'm scared to death. As soon as I get in there and they bring me to the, it was, it was child time for breakfast. They bring me in there and it's, Dirty Mike, yo, dirt. All my friends was in there. Oh, wow. Oh, I'm not worried. Someone, I got 200 guys right here. All my friends, all guys from Manhattan, guys from Brooklyn, people that we know in the streets from robbing and hustling. And they run the they run the place. Matter of fact, I don't want to go home no more. I want to stay here. Oh, wow. Yeah. Why? Because all my comrades are here. This is my family. I got to go home in a stinking apartment of fucking rats and roaches. No food. Fuck, that three hots in a car, fighting, stabbing. Oh, this is what I live for. I don't want to go back home to nothing. If I go back home, I'll go get some money and get back in here. Wow. Well, man. You know, for me... Uh, imagine that for 20 years. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> for me, you know, I'm a... That's one day. Yes, I see my friend and it's home. Yeah. I'm happy. Then I am when I'm home. I'm happy here. Mm. They're going to stab somebody. They're going to fight for me. I don't got to worry about nobody hurting me. Mm. This is home. Mike, we got a big fight coming up here, brother. Oh, yes, we do. This, I think I would like the whole uh, Tyson Ranch to go there. We should get tickets for the whole Tyson Ranch. For the Fury Wilder fight? Yeah, I would love to do that. Dude, it's fucking dope. Also, John Bones 
Jones Whoa. versus he, Dominic Reyes. Hey, this guy Reyes, you know, he's, he's really talking some shit like he wants to win. Fuck, dude. A guy with a nickname Bones, John Bones Jones. I don't know if I want to fuck with that guy. When a guy got that reputation, somebody wants it. Yeah, yeah. You want to go check, fucking yeah. take it. They, the team got that reputation. I want those teams. I want to steal. I want to see how good they really are. Yeah. It's you like know? David versus Goliath. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. The underdog coming in and taking the championship. Were you ever an underdog? Never in my life. Yeah. I was always Goliath. Only in life I was underdog. Yes, exactly. That's what life. I was going to say. Yeah. What do you think Tyson Fury's best attribute is? If Wilder's is how hard he hits, what's Tyson Fury's? That he's undead? No, that he's just um, his confidence. Yeah. Yeah. He believes in himself more than anything else. Yeah. Confidence sky high. Yeah. Especially after getting up from the point. Now, imagine how bad. Imagine what he think he is now after getting up after all that adversity. Yeah. I know. Coming yeah. back. So, look, guys. You can bet on all this shit. You could gamble on literally anything, any competition happening. Just head over and visit our good friends and exclusive partner at Podcast One, Bet Online, to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account and make sure to use that promo code PODCAST1 for your 50% sign-up bonus. All right, once again, visit Bet Online and don't forget the uh, the promo code, okay? Podcast one for your fifty percent sign up bonus. Bet Online, your online sportsbook expert. Don't you think time is such a fascinating thing? Know why I believe it's fascinating, even because that's the only thing on this planet that we don't have much of, mm. and we can't get much of it. Mm. We can't get it back. We can get money back. We can get revenge, we, you know, but we can't get the time back. It's the only thing that we use, the word I want to say. Frivolously. Yeah, frivolously. Yeah. We take time for granted. We do. Well, speaking of time, finding a high-quality, good-looking watch without breaking the bank is no easy task, Mike. I know you've had some nice watches in your day. Ooh, I had some of the best. Yeah, I had some really good watches. <laughs> Well, these watches are dope as hell. It's our newest sponsor, Vincero Watches. Vincero? Yes, sir. Vincero creates exceptionally crafted watches, and they do it without costing you an arm and a leg. These watches are really fly, and they make you feel unstoppable. Mike, can I tell you, my rookie year, one of my first purchases, I bought myself like a $14,000 Breitling. Really? And, you, dude, you know what? It fucking, I, I have to say it was not my, the best money I've ever spent, you know? Listen, I spent 400000 on watches. Jesus. I spent millions on watches. I just, and I don't know where they are. Right. <laughs> exactly, dude. They're gone. That Brightly's gone. Where they at? Who fucking oh, stole my watch? <laughs> gone. See ya. Woo, baby. Dude, so... Mike, I'm telling you, man, these watches are awesome. I'm wearing the Rogue model in black and rose gold it looks right stunning. now. And I, Absolutely stunning. I have to tell you, man, it's stunning. I'll admit I'm feeling pretty fresh, brother. Listen, man, um, fresh is an understatement. Thank you. That is really stunning. Well, you also inspired me with the turtlenecks. 
Well, thank you. I like turning. It's hard to find a good tournament. Oh, my wife got me two of them for yeah. Christmas. I, I feel fly as fuck. I love tournament. Yes. Well, Mike, tell our listeners, since they're listening to this podcast, what they get. Because you're listening to this podcast, they're offering you loyal hot boxing listeners a great discount. That's right. So head over to VinceroWatches.com. That's Vincero, V-I-N-C-E-R-O, spelled like Vincero, pronounced like Vincero. Go to the website and use discount code Tyson. This deal is too good to pass up. Use my code Tyson for your discount and you'll get it. That's it, baby. Vincero. 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 You know, our, our lives are so different because you know I grew up in the rural in the rural South. Uh, my father was born in 1944, so segregation and poverty. Basically, what you would call a shotgun shack. They didn't call it a shack, but it was a shotgun house where mm. each room is behind the next room, so you could fire a shotgun through the front door and hit everybody in the house. So that's how narrow the little property was that they had. And um, uh, he joined the military to get out of poverty. Uh, put himself through college, put his little brother through college, put a cousin through college, married the college president's daughter, my mother, because uh, my dad had it like that. He was, <laughs> he knew what he was doing. And um, so I was a total nerd. Like, I, he he would open up the refrigerator door. Like, if I, I complained about anything, he's like, do you see this refrigerator? There's always been food in this refrigerator. There's always been food. What are you talking about? I'm like, uh, you, uh, uh, that's not that impressive to me, sir. You know, he's like, Pie out, you know? It's like, so... I missed that whole experience, and I wind up when my father died. They put um, the picture they put of him on the funeral program was him standing in front of Yale Law School with his fist in the air. You know, we did it. You know, and so I, I'm like one generation removed from all the stuff that he went through. But I was sitting listening to his, you know, mm. him and my uncles and that sort of stuff talking about that stuff. I mean, for me, I feel guilty. I almost feel as a black man like. Uh, I just had like survivor's guilt. I'm like, why me? Mm. So many guys that were smarter than me. Listen, I say the same thing all the time to my wife. I say, mm. smarter than me, got more power than me, yeah. more money than me, has a bigger family connection, everybody respect them. You know what I mean? And they didn't make it. Right. And I always say it's, um, it's divinely guided. Mm. You know what I mean? We can't explain it, but we know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We know we're different. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, I don't know. It's just a weird feeling. You know, I, I, I go into prisons a lot um, just because I'm a lawyer. I'm trying to help people. And I just see all these brothers and they're brilliant, strong, better looking. You know what I mean? Like everything. They have everything of, of, over me. I mean, if I had to compete with these guys, I would be their intern. You know what I mean? I mean I would, I'd have to work for these guys. But they've swept up all these black men and put them all out of competition. So then I go in there and I come home and I'm like, I mean, I just feel that's why I fight so hard because I'm like these these guys deserve a shot. If these guys had a shot, they'd be running everything because they're that strong, they're that smart. Oh, they're, wow, you 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 got the you don't you don't believe it either. This this is interesting. Well, you're pretty smart. Listen, um, <laughs> you can't you have nothing to do with that. You know, this is survival of the fittest. They look better than us. They perform better than us. And all due praise be to Allah, but they're not. Hmm. It's an illusion. We're the survivors. Of, we're the strongest. The survivors are the fittest. 
And if you don't look at it like that, you're strongly mistaken. You think you went to all those schools by accident? You know, I mean, you were designed to do that. Your father went to you. You think that was by accident? Well, designed to do that. My mother was, my father was, they were street workers. They had me. Yeah, my brother, my brother's a doctor too, in emergency in LA, right? But listen up. They, they're, they're street people. And they, they had me, probably because they were horny. <laughs> and look what, look what I've been all over the world. Look what I've, look all the yeah. people I've touched. Crazy. And touched me. Mm-hmm. And it's just, um, it's just not by accident. Because I had a low self-esteem, but still I'm a megalomania. I think I'm so special, you know? But no one can say I'm, no one can say the things that I can say about myself. Like I may say I'm a piece of shit. Someone else say that. It's a fight right away. Because I don't think that. But sometimes I think I need to be checked because my head is too big. And I think too much of myself. And I don't think nobody could check me but me. Yeah, I, uh, I watched the, uh, you know, there's a couple of documentaries about you, which you know, I have on my laptop. Um, and uh, when I want to be inspired or challenged or whatever, I'll watch. You know, really? The, yeah, yeah, man. The things that you've said, the things that you've done, you know, uh, Customato and, and how, like, you know, you met Muhammad Ali when you were a kid, like all these different things. Yeah, I was in the reform the school. school. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know your whole thing. I mean, um, but, you know, as a, you know, as a black man watching the things that you've done, the things that you've been through, your ups and your downs, you know, your your good decisions, your bad decisions, or whatever. It, get, it does provide a roadmap because, um, I mean, your, your everything you do is so extreme. I mean, it's just like the king, like the, the biggest champion ever, like knocking people out or whatever, and then like you know having all these problems. And so you can learn from the, your whole arc. But I think you know, for me, uh, I was just a nerd. Uh, I didn't get in any trouble because I mean, my dad. I was just like scared of my dad, um, and. Uh, I don't know what to do at this point. I'm 51. Um, I work for President Obama. Uh, I work for Prince. Um, I, was a grass, I was a grassroots outsider, young radical, militant. Then I became a White House insider, uh, targeted by the media, right-wing media. Now I'm a part of the media. Um, you know, I went, I went to public schools in the rural South. I went to a fancy Ivy League school. I've kind of, I've kind of done 360. I've been, so I'm part of the fool. I've seen, so I've seen all these different points and parts. But after that, I mean, you don't know what to do. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you, you figured out how to do something, you know, this podcast, whatever. But you, you can go through so many things in life oh, man. that you don't really know, you what, know what to do what next. You know what to do, man. You know what you do? You know, I don't know if you do it that way, but you may, maybe you can get on your knees. You can do it right. And you can show gratitude and thank God for all, your, all the blessings that you got. Yeah. Thank him for your beautiful eyesight, your, mm-hmm. your hands, your feet, your touch, your beautiful children, your experience in life. Gratitude. Gratitude. That mm-hmm. triples your blessings. I was such a selfish, self-centered person, and I'm still that way. But this time, but I'm just very grateful, and I have a lot of gratitude. But you was—I saw you with your with your wife, and that was amazing. You like y'all like you like touching her hand and like doing all super sweet hey, stuff. Because um, my wife is um, I don't I wouldn't even say my rock. My wife is my my solar system. Without my wife, I'm a savage. I don't have no respect for women or nobody. Hmm. Yeah, my my wife makes me um. Makes me know that I'm a man. It makes me remember I'm a man and I'm not an animal. How? Excuse me? How does she do that? Just her existence, the nearness of her. Hmm? Just the nearness of her. Just hmm. hmm. being close to her. Hmm. Now, I saw that. That was crazy. Like, you know, there's 
these little tiny gestures, like nothing's really going on. All of a sudden, I look over and you like just like touched her hand or you like leaned over toward her, or whatever, just put your head on her shoulder. I'm like, this is like the most fearsome. No, it's just that it, you know, I knew my my, my wife and I've been married for ten years. I know my wife since she was eighteen. Yeah, and so um, we have a we have an interesting relationship. And during my relationship, um, I've heard her many times. Mm-hmm. And um, I just don't want to do that anymore. Hmm. You know, I, I don't know. I don't want to say enlightened, but I've I've learned a few things over the years, yeah. and I don't want to be the cause of her pain anymore. And God is good. Mm-hmm. No, he's he's good when it looks bad too. He's always good. It's awesome. It is awesome. It's been awesome to be here with you, Mike. Awesome to be with you, man. You know, to watch your growth and your evolution over the last couple of years. It's amazing, dude. I just learned, um, I know that, I know this, I know human beings are not meant to be humble. They're meant to be humbled. You know, we, we have to, we have to learn to be humble. Mm. You know, because, um, we have to know that, you know, sometimes when we look at ass, me and my wife, one day we were watching my son play his baseball game and we're sitting down and said, babe, look at these ants and all these ants are, and it's about the time of the season where they die. Mm. So, by now, they've done everything within the summer. They've done everything within the two months, whatever summer is, that we can do in our lifetime. Mm. Right? And then I said, you know that, baby? And I said, I wonder this. Just like we're watching them, I wonder who's watching us. Mm. Because I think somebody has to be watching us like we watching these ants because we're, we're we're great but we're not that significant. Yes, say if um, all those ants died, the world would die. Mm-hmm. If all the birds, if all the trees died, the world would die. Yeah. If all of us died, the world would flourish. <laughs> yeah. So we're not that hot shit. Wow, that's dope. <laughs> you know, we're not really hot shit. Our yeah. egos. I, I look at my ego and I wish I could shoot myself in the head. Sometimes I think so many great things and I'm a god and all this shit. And then I have to go and take my son to basket baseball game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get your chores yeah. on. Uh, yeah. Go to the gym and ride the bike. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm. No oh, shit. Awesome. Well, Vin, you've got. I mean, you. You know, man, I, I don't, I think you're right on your destiny path. What can we do to help everything you're this? doing? I, I mean, this is important work you're it. doing, man. I appreciate that. And, okay. and you have cultivated a very significant presence in the media. Mm. I believe that. And I think that, um, the work you're doing right now is, is invaluable. Mm. And, you know, I think you know exactly what you're doing, dude. You know, well, I tell you, I am. I'm getting closer to God again. Mm. Um, you know, part of what I think happened. You know, when you're an African American man, you're a Democrat, and you decide you're going to work with Donald Trump. Can we talk about that? Yeah, to pass yeah. The, to pass the bill, you go through a lot. Yeah, um, I'm that, sure because I felt like we were in a, you know, a, a dilemma. You know, a no win situation. Uh, either we just because the Republicans had started to move in a better direction on criminal justice, you know, Rick Perry in Texas. Weirdly, yeah. But, but listen, from their point of view, not from our point of view, but from their point of view, they don't want to see a big failed government bureaucracy eating up taxpayer money, making stuff worse. Sure. 
Some of them are Christians. They don't want to you know, see no redemption. Some of them are libertarians. They don't want to see li- liberties being ge- – so they've, mm. not for our racial justice, right, but right. for their own reasons. Sure. They had come around. And then Trump comes in, and Trump is like law and order and, you know, and was pushing yeah. the Republicans in the wrong direction again. And I had to make a decision. Democrats aren't as courageous when they feel like the Republicans are going to come after them and call them soft on crime and that kind of thing. Mm. And so the key to Democrats being strong is Republicans being strong. The key to Republicans being strong is Trump being strong. Oh. So if I want, I got to go deal with Trump. Yeah. And or I could just say, well, I cared about black people under every other president. I cared about people in prison under Obama. I was in the White House every week under Obama begging, let people out. We got to have criminal justice. And now this new president comes in. I'm nowhere to be found. Right. So did I really care? Mm. Or was it ego? Was it career? So I got to go in there and I got to deal with the guy. And, you know, fr- frankly, uh, he shocked a lot of people. He signed a bill that's led out a bunch of people. He's, he's done way more than people thought. But, man, that was a tough process because, you know, people say, well, you're giving him a win. You're giving Trump a victory. Blah, 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 blah. Like, well, but it's a dilemma. Right. If, 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 if I, I, I can keep, deny him a victory, but I'm also going to deny all these people in prison a victory. Yeah. <laughs> I can give these people in prison a victory, but I'm giving him a victory. Well, I would rather for the people who I know don't have a voice to be able to come home and see their kids. They don't care who's in the White House. They want to come home to their mama's house. Um, but, man, I don't – I went through a lot. Uh, people that I respect and love say I was a sellout, an Uncle Tom, a coon, a traitor. Listen, you tell me they're still talking like that in the 21st century? Hey, listen, look at – They're calling black people coons and – Well, first of all, we didn't yeah. hear enough of this <laughs> yeah. in the media. Hmm, we didn't hear enough about this in the media. About the victory? Yes. Yes, the first step back victory? Yeah, the first step back. Yeah, no, I mean, it, 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 we think about it now. Uh, December 22nd, I believe it was, maybe December 21st, Trump signs the First Step Act, which the New York Times says is the most substantial breakthrough in criminal justice in a generation. Yes. Um, it, it made it where women can't be shackled anymore in federal prisons when they're pregnant. It made it where people have to be held closer to their families. It made it where uh, half the federal prisoner, half people in federal prison can earn their way home sooner by doing a bunch of Program. good stuff programs and stuff 100 percent can come home sooner if they just stay out of trouble and seven thousand people got a chance to come home so that's a pretty big deal and but do if you're the liberal media do you want to give trump that big victory right probably CNN's not, not going to show I that mean, shit. You know, they, they showed they showed it for a minute but you know then the next day i think the government shut down they're off to other issues and if, <laughs> and if you're and if you're the conservatives you know, you kind of like it, but you, you politics know. are like yeah. religion in a way. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and so you wind yeah. up with this. With nobody knows what to do. It doesn't fit the narrative, and that's why people don't want. Right. That's why people don't want to be involved with religion because religion is like this. If you don't have the ideology that we have, I won't change our ideology. You're going to hell. Mm-hmm. That's basically all religion. The Christian, the Muslim. That's all religion. If you don't follow us, you're pretty much you're wrong. You're wrong. Yeah. 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 So, so you know, it wound, it wound up being. And so politics are like that too. If you don't go with this way, you're wrong. Yeah. But I tell you what. Um, now, I'm a lot closer to God. Well, that happens when you get in your fifties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because you're close to your your mortality. You know, it's any moment. You know, um, that's like when we did the talk. You know, it's just it's no it's going to be over soon. Not it's a possibility we ain't going to see another fifty right. or twenty, thirty. So it's. We have to prepare ourselves for death. We do it without even, unconsciously, we prepare for our death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's what happens. As soon as we're born, we start preparing for our death. Mm-hmm. 
The first moment we're born, without unconsciously knowing, we start preparing for it. Are you ready? Huh? Are, do you feel ready? Absolutely. I think I was born, I think I was living too long. <laughs> I don't think anybody agrees with that. <laughs> Why do you say that? It's just, um, what are we here for? That's our purpose. You know, we, our purpose is to die and go to another place. And sometimes, um, and some of us in our difficulties in handling that stage of life, we kill ourselves before it's our time. Because it's, it's frightening about dying, but sometimes the thought of living while thinking about much. dying is too much. Mm-hmm. So you say this, this is what I said at one stage. God made me, um, I wasn't doing anything. No one asked to be here. I was made, and now soon I'm mad, I got to worry about dying. And then as I got older, I realized life was glorious. The worst of life is glorious. And I think death has to be glorious as well as life. Because the two, how could they not be? How could death not be glorious and life is glorious? Life is glorious if you're homeless or a beggar. It's, it's inhale, life is it's nothing. It's, just, it's nothing better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, you're, you're deeper than that. <laughs> <laughs> we go deep, man. Yeah, I, I um. I don't know, I man. I look at my kids now, and um, I got a fifteen-year-old boy who's as tall as me, and wow. you know, super. Like you were talking about, you know, how your kids are like really smart and doing all kind of good stuff. Like I got a, my older boy is um, he's like, like a four and taking physics and Mandarin, and he's like a soccer player and all that stuff. So, and you know, I watch him, and but you know, I, he's living a totally different life than I lived when I was growing up. Um, I wasn't good in school, and I wasn't a good athlete. So, but I watch this guy, and I'm like, you know, someday I'm not going to be here. And he's going to talk about who his dad was. Mm. You know, life just goes on. Yeah. And, um, you know, hopefully, you know, he'll do well. And he's, his little brother is 11. And he'll, hopefully he'll do well. But, yeah, it does, man. It's, it's crazy. Also, I'm con- I, I, I have nothing left to prove for myself in terms of mm. to be able to walk into the Trump White House and come out with a victory for our people, um, even though it wasn't seen, even though it wasn't recognized, even though I was criticized. I know. Uh, what we did, dude. That's so huge, and um, so huge, you know. And so, I don't. For me, I'm, I'm try, I am thinking about what these, these next five, ten, twenty, thirty years going to be. And I agree with you. You know, gratitude is important. Um, but I just, it, it, I'm at a crossroads. What are you grateful for right now? Oh, right. Well, my kids. Yeah, my boys are like amazing. I mean, you, my little boy is emotional and difficult and creative kind of like me and then the big boy is like super like smart and pretty well disciplined especially for a teenager uh, like his mom and um so i get a chance to watch these like smaller versions of us you know what mm-hmm. i mean going through all the stuff that they go through um and i'm thinking listen man i mean to get a chance to work the reform alliance is amazing you know i got to sit in rooms with like you know billionaires who care about people behind bars that's great and you just like and, and they're not they're not half-stepping they're not Right. Messing around, they're like, we got to do something. Most people don't know that that there are people at high places they care. Hey, you ever think about you? What, what do you mean? Why you Why you do this? Why are you you? Uh, don't y'all have no commercial breaks today? <laughs> I don't have to sell no. <laughs> Really? What do you mean? No. Why do you why do you why do you do what you do? Why do you why are you interested in this? Why do you care about motherfucking president? Mm-hmm. 
that sold somebody some bad drugs that might have died. Yeah. You know, even when I was a child, um, I just had a lot of uh, feelings of empathy. Like, I li- we lived in the country. Uh, gravel road, no, you know, we had like a septic tank, you know, and uh, no street lights and stuff like that. So at night, um, you know, you could see everything because there's no street lights or whatever. But also there's a lot of animals. And so, you know, you, you see dead, you see death. You know, you're a little kid, you're looking out the window, and all of a sudden it's like there's like a dead dog or a dead frog or a dead deer or whatever. It's like just smashed up on the side of the road. And um, my parents got to the point they wouldn't let me look out the window because I'd be crying for like a day mm. over some like dog that I saw and, you know, why, why, and whatever. So I was always been really sensitive. and You're an empath. Yeah. And so, and then, you know, my dad was tough, you know, and I wasn't. And so that was an issue in the house. He was afraid that I was gay or whatever he was afraid of. But, you know, he was this tough kid, grew up in the, you know, you know not even the hood, like, like really poor, and then was in the military. And so he's this big, tough, he had been a cop in the military and this type of thing. And I got this, like, little kid that cries all the time and, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> little nerd. Yeah, a little nerd. <laughs> so it was, like, an issue in the house. And, um, and so, you know, I would read comic books and stuff, and I would read about these great heroes who would – you know, they were like a nerd, you know, like Clark Kent or Peter Parker, but then they would like, you know, become a hero and do, and I just think that imprinted on my brain that I wanted to go out and help people. I don't know why. Mm. There's no, there's no, there's no one thing that happened. I just knew from a very small age, I wanted to help people. And also suddenly I look up, I'm like six one, you know, almost 200 pounds. I was like this big, like all through high school, even into college, like a little scarecrow with big glasses, you know, getting picked on. And then all of a sudden I'm not. And I felt like I could do something. But people have asked me a lot of times. I don't, I don't have a good answer except to know that uh, I hate bullies. I hate when somebody has power and abuses it. Uh, I hate to see anybody being mistreated. And it doesn't feel like a choice to me. It's just like almost like an automatic reaction trying to do something. And so I've just spent my whole life fighting for really for other people. Uh, maybe for my own glory and stuff. But at the same time, I know if I was just after the glory, I'd be a lot more famous. Like, I'm only just famous enough to be able to fight my fight. I, you know, I don't want it. Maybe that's what you think? Yeah. Let's, this all from your perception? Yes, sir. What do you think? I think you're more famous than you think you are. Yeah. <laughs> the ego's bigger than you think you, it is, too. But I think you're more famous than you think you are. But you don't think you're that famous. That's really weird. Well, I mean, I work with like Anderson Cooper and Jay Z. Like these guys are like legends. Like they, you know, they're, they're at your level. <laughs> what did you just say? Hmm? What did you just say? Say okay. it again. What did you just say? Hmm? Say what you just said. I, I said I work with legends. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You don't work with them unless you're their equal. Hmm. They may not think that, hmm. but why are they talking to you? Hmm. Why are you talking to them? Why are you talking to me? I'm real happy to be talking to you. I've seen you talk to all those big shots. <laughs> now, whatever insecurities I have, I don't have them no more because I talk to you too, just like those big shots did. Yeah. Well, you're the biggest big shot. They, they, they no, but that's, 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 ooh, the most insecure people in the world are the most powerful ones. Mm-hmm. Remember that. They say whatever, you know. How could you not be insecure? Because if you're insecure of the position that you're in, you're in position to lose that position. 
we can never be secured in our position because there's always somebody gunning for it. True. So how can you be secured when someone's gunning for you? Mm-hmm. That's not, mm-hmm. you know, that's not a secure position to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, uneasy wears the head, the whatever the crown or whatever wears it is. The crown, Shakespeare yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, man, y- y'all, y'all, y'all podcast is more difficult. <laughs> hey, dude, it's all good. Wait, can we think about what? Who, who are we? What is our? <laughs> Do you ever think about who's the first you? Whatever the first man, the oldest man is four point four billion million years old, right, Lucy? So four point four million years. Where was the first you? Who you think you were? Think you were Asian? You think you were white? You think you were African? What do you think you were? Mm-hmm. Mongolian? What do you think you were? The first you. Think four point four million years ago. The first male, your sperm. What do you think? What do you think you were? Where do you think yeah. you were at? I mean, they, they say Africa. They say Africa, yeah. But then they found out there's a country under Turkey that's 9,000 years old. Yeah, so I have no so idea. Now they got to rewrite history. Um, what do we know? How do you rewrite history when you find something, a, a, a problem like that? I don't know. Yeah, no idea. I don't know anything. We know what somebody told you. You don't even know how old you are. You, you, you're 51 because Julius Caesar said you're 51. Hmm. Julius Caesar said, I'm 53, so I'm 53. He said I was born in 1966 A.D., so that's when I was born. Now, I didn't get no information from nobody. I didn't do no research. But I've, the research I did find out that this guy told me how old I was. Mm-hmm. So I don't know anything about myself. That what I do know. That I went to prison. I did this. I became champ. I work here. I do this stuff. And that. But that's what I know. But after that, I don't know anything about nothing about me. I don't know if I'm from another planet and we were planted here. I don't know. I don't know anything. What do you know? Uh, less than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I know. Everybody's trying to figure out the world. What's the key? What's the magic key? Mm-hmm. And somebody told me, especially for black people, he said, the answer is so simple, but... For black people, it has to be complicated. It has to be real complex to be the answer. Mm-hmm. If it's right in front of you, it can't be the answer. Mm-hmm. The answer to everything is really so easy. But just because it's so easy, we can never figure it out. Because we're so intellectual. It has to be some apex intellectual stuff that we can't pronounce, like Nietzsche or something. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Carl Jung. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. I, I um, I'm glad. I'm glad to meet you guys. I mean, I, I think you're doing something. Uh, What'd you write, Van? I wrote down bipartisan because I wanted to make sure to underscore that Republicans are doing some good things. Mm. I feel like you know, it's so polarized. Yeah. That um, you know, we we almost don't want to give the other side credit when they're right. Yeah. Now look, when they're wrong, and listen, this is a lot of stuff we just not going to agree about. Right. Um, and and that's in a democracy you, where you disagree, you're supposed to fight. In democracy, you're not supposed to agree. Dictatorship, you have to agree. Democracy means you can have your opinion, you can have yours, you can have yours. But when we disagree, we're supposed to fight. But where we do agree, we're supposed to work together. Mm. And we stop doing that. So I always try to remind myself to point that, that out. And then I brought down my son. Mm. Um, just I wanted to make sure to give him some credit. How can anybody work with a dictator? I don't think there should ever be a dictator. I should think that should be illegal. Agree. No one no. should be a dictator. Well, in our country, it is illegal. Um, but still we have well still listen Napoleon said this to his mother there will always be kings even if they go by different names uh, and that's what it is uh, yeah Trump is running this country like he's a king yeah. you know and that's just what it is he feels like a king yeah and people treat him like a king 
So he lives like a king. And people love it. Because everybody wants to be a king in their sick mind. You know? Well, he's... um Anybody think they're a king in their own world, believe it or not. You know what I mean? Even though my wife is the boss in my house, I believe I'm a king. (laughs) (laughs) I believe I'm the king. Um, I have the title. Yeah, that's a great quote by Napoleon. Van... What do you see? I mean, I know criminal justice reform is going to be huge in this coming election. Mm -hmm. I have a real problem with, I mean, you tell me, you you know better than me, but why is Joe Biden still up there? (laughs) They want him to be, he's going to be the guy to go against Trump. That's a definite, because he's going against Trump. Listen, he could start farting in the, in the debate <laughs> and still go against Trump, because that's where it is. It's, it's written in stone that he's going to be one to face off against Trump. The Democratic Party just right? loses sure. my faith Man, isn't that more true, and more basically? all the time. That's the uh, guy who's going to face Trump. I don't, know if it's, I don't know if it's true. I know the establishment really wants it to be Biden. And, uh, that's what I'm talking about, the establishment, yeah. Fuck yeah. this guy, man. <laughs> Sorry. Get him out. <laughs> Why? What do you say? Well, first of all, from a criminal justice perspective, yeah. wasn't he part of, was it the, the Clinton yeah, bill? he did the 94 crime bill in the Senate. Yes, exactly. He was just Which following was orders. Horrible. He was just following orders. Second Being of all, yes he seems incredibly out of touch and very creepy. He's <laughs> just not a guy that I'm interested in having as my leader. Our leaders should be fucking passionate. That's why we have Trump. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, say what you will. When I read that about you working with him and him working to get 7,000, signing a bill to get 7,000 people and more, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, more over time. That was huge. Yeah. You know, I mean, it didn't necessarily clean the slate for me on nope. Trump at all, but, you know, that, that says a lot. Yeah. About the direction of that things. That says a lot too, but I just keep thinking my my frame of mind because I was one of those guys before, and I've been in there with those guys. They're letting out damaged people. Well, but I, I I do see it differently because yes, there are some people who come home with kind of you know who've had challenges, but usually my experience has been the people who the majority of people who are coming home they really want to land on their feet and do well. And we've got to do a better job of giving them a place to I'm land. from Brownsville, Brooklyn, okay? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And this is what I know. What is it they call the return rate, recidivism rate? What yeah, is very it? high, 67%. Yeah, from Brownsville, Brooklyn, man, it must be 80%, if not more. Mm-hmm. Everybody I know that's been locked up has been repeat offenders. Me, all my friends, uh, they're all in jail now, are dead, are strung out on drugs. Very few of them I see. So you, so you just saying, but you're saying that we need to make sure that there's a program when they come home they can well, land on their feet. You're not saying leave them in there forever. You're saying no, when they come home, yeah, they need a yeah, program. They need a program. Well, well, I mean, I must, they need. I'm uh, just a strong believer because it helped me. I just know it helps. Yeah, I know. What, what, what helps? Yeah, yeah. A program. Yeah. You know what, what I mean? Like a, um, what types of things? Like an outlook program. You have to go before you find a job. You have to get a skill for the job. You have to be able to have almost like hospitality skills yeah. to take care of yourself mm-hmm. in the workplace. I think we should spend a lot more time. First of all, I think yes. we should we should put a lot. Getting of along with workers, you know, you came out of prison talking to people crazy. Mm-hmm. Now you got to go in the workplace. What did you say? You have to be very careful after talking to somebody. What you say to somebody that did twenty years in prison? Mm-hmm. It's all about respecting how they talk to. It's just a different world. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. can't say, hey, fuck off, all right, dude? Yeah. 
<laughs> it's just different. That's, to them, that's right. the biggest disrespect. He told me to fuck off. Right. You know, you got to change that mindset before we get in the workplace. Yeah. I, I think as much time and energy as we spent building up these prisons, we're locking people up. You, you know, $140,000 per year per young person locked up. You could send two kids to Yale. Crazy. It's a racket. It's a racket. So it's crazy. I, I, what I would say is now take that same amount of energy, keep that same energy, put fewer people in, make sure when they come home they do have those kind of programs and we'll be all right. The problem is that we spend so much time and energy damaging people and then we don't want to spend any money when they come right, so home. This is what right. we do. These guys that we're in prison, they're making these plates, they're making these things in these prisons. The people who they're making them for, they should make it possible. So when these guys get out after making all that money for our company, they should be able to be mm-hmm. civilized. I don't know the proper word to say, but they say rehabilitated, transformed, whatever you call it. Sure. Because yeah. listen, I, listen, man, I know what they do behind it, and all of a sudden you go let these guys out. And, yeah, but I, I say bring I say I say bring them home and keep that same energy to make sure they come home the right way. That's what I oh, say. Oh, absolutely, bring them home. But what you gonna bring them home to? Yeah. Yeah. They, they, let's go. But what are you gonna do if you let a lion out of the cage after cage. twenty years and you just let him go in the um, and population? Oh, I, I like I said, you, you and I agree that the way people come home should matter, and we yes. should from the, the moment somebody goes in, and you know, I wish that fewer people would go in. We should be thinking about that day they come home. And every single day should be supported. To look, 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 Right now, nobody makes money when the people go home and do well. They make money when people come, go and they come back, return customers. Yes. And what we've uh. got to do, we've got to change the financial incentive. I want a warden to be rewarded. I, I would say, listen, of all these five, six people, if they leave on Friday and they come back on Monday with their best friends, you're fired. If they leave on Friday <laughs> and they stay gone for three years... And, and they've been productive, we'll, we should give you a million dollars because you just saved us so much money. In other words, you, mm. should, you should get a reward for every person who leaves your prison and does a good job. Now, every day you're in my prison, I'm, I'm doing yoga with you. Right. I'm teaching you how Meditation. to read. You know what I mean? Because that's yeah. money coming back into my pocket. There's no financial that's incentive awesome. to make uh, people do, do a good job. That's America. I looked at um, a few years ago. I watched this um, program about students. Like you say in Germany. Hmm. You're a young kid, 16, 15, fuck school, I don't want to go to school, right? I want to smoke weed. Not the police, the government takes you, and we train you to work on our BMWs and our Mercedes Benz and work with the everything. You only got to go to school for three hours here. You got to go to class Vocational for three hours. But you got to work on our computers and stuff mm. on, the, on the cars. Mm. And so this guy is working on our cars, and so now he has a job. He doesn't like school. You don't like school, we'll give you a job here. Yeah. They give you enough school so you can graduate from high school and you keep your job here. And then mm. you're not out there causing Yeah, but havoc. you're working. Right. You, you don't like school. You're playing hooky. Oh, I'll give you, I'll take care of you. Hey, you do it. In, in Japan, for instance, in Japan, great student. The business, you know, what's, the, what's those, the radio companies and stuff from Japan? Mm. Um, like Sony. Or, Sony, Kiyoshi, yeah, yeah. all those places. Yeah. They make deals with the school. If you give me 200,000 good workers, I promise them jobs. Mm. In America, if you don't make it, it's on you. <laughs> yeah. When you're born, if you don't do nothing, you're make a fuck money, up. it's on mm. you. You fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the government crazy. and the school yeah. system work together. Yeah, they're the, business, be- the business and the government work together. Yeah, there are a lot of better ways. If, if, you see, if you see every kid as your kid, you have a totally different system than if you say, oh, well, those kids, their kids. Nobody says, oh, my kid's on drugs. Give them 17 years in prison. There's nobody's ever said that about their own kid. Right. But your kid, give them 50 years. 
And so that's you know that's that's a spiritual crisis. That's that's a uh, you know the, the humanizing the opposite mm-hmm. of. We don't see no hope in us. Yeah. And by not by our government not seeing hope in us, we don't see hope in ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So they don't see um, a better hope in life. You know what I mean? So yeah. they're desperate. I don't see a better hope. Why the hell I got to go to school? Why I got to listen to my mother? Why I'm going to die anyway? They killed my father. They killed my brother. Mm-hmm. What's, how am I going to survive? Mm-hmm. Vin, how do you feel about the Moore Act? Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act mm-hmm. of 2019. Look, I'm all for it. Look, I'm a nerd. I've never had a beer. I've never smoked a beer, smoked marijuana. I've never. Interesting guy, man. I, mean, no I, I know a couple of guys like you. Yeah, yeah. Ne- ne- I couldn't imagine living yeah. without that yeah, stuff. No, I've, ne- I've, never <laughs> had, I've never had a sip of champagne. I've never had a sip of wine. Never, none of it, none of it. So I can say as a complete nerd, anti-drug nerd, um, that I'm against the drug war mm. because it doesn't work, and uh, you and it's never been prosecuted. Look, there's more drugs at a, at a country club, yacht club, Ivy League school. Ask me how I know. I know I've been to all those places. Way more drugs in those co- contexts than in than on in, on a street corner in the hood. So now that they're making it legal, marijuana, every single person who is convicted of that, it should just be wiped off their record. Yeah. And all the money coming in, the tax money, should be gone, going back to those communities, back to those individuals, and helping them get on their feet. And Otherwise, it's just another situation where black people created a market, white people come and exploit it. Mm. When we did it, it was illegal. They do it, now it's legal. Mm. Um, and we th- did rap, when we did rap music in the street, the cops came and shut us down. Yeah. Now the cops come to stop the people from breaking in the stores and stealing it. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Ain't that I've, a trip? Yeah, but I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it my whole life. You know, uh, I got a chance to work with Prince. I did all of his uh, philanthropic work for about six years. What was that like? Yeah, yeah. Prince. That's yeah. dope. He was a very interesting guy. I met him a couple of times. He was a very interesting. Guy. Yeah. No, I mean, I um, he saved my life, man. Because you know, when I, when I worked for Obama, uh, I only worked there for about six months, and then the right wing media came after me because I was a like, young militant and stuff, and. They're bringing back all the stuff from when I was younger. So, and they're also making up stuff. Tell me some stuff about you when you were younger. What did you do to make them think you were a militant? I was a Marxist. I was in. Uh, I was suing <laughs> cops. I was protesting everything I could. I was every ist I could find that was against the system. Nationalists, Marxists, anarchists, any ist. Um, because I was pissed off. I was... Look, man, if you're in your early 20s, I mean, we were the same age. I mean, you know, I mean, we in the 80s, you know, that's when Public Enemy and Spike Lee and N.W.A. Absolutely. came out. So they had put mm. it in our mind that we need to stand up for ourselves. And then we get in the 90s, we finally get rid of Reagan and Bush. We got Clinton, and Clinton's worse. Mm. And he's dropping all these terrible, you know, bills against us. And, and he has us brainwashed. He had, Clinton has more black people brainwashed than liquor, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. But I mean, Biden as well. Yeah, I mean, look, all that, all that whole sick click, all of them. Look, I appreciated Bill Clinton more after he was president when he was doing. He doesn't get credit for afterwards when he was doing the Clinton Global Initiative and raising millions of dollars and helping people around the world. But when he was president, he was weak on affirmative action, weak on welfare, weak on anything black, weak on criminal justice. And so I was mad, and I wasn't. I didn't, and I felt like my parents had lied to me, you know. My dad had been in the military and, you know, uh, liberty and justice for all and all this type of stuff. And, I, mm. and I'm like, I'm, I'm at this law school and I can't and I can look down this street to the university and see kids buck wild who are going to be senators 
And I can look down this street in New Haven to housing project and kids who are doing less bad stuff who are all going to be in prison. I don't see. And so I'm like, my dad lied to me. This whole system lied to me. So I was as, I was on the left side of Pluto. I was I was considered a left wing radical. But your father didn't lie to you. He was just told you information. He was fed. Right. Exactly. He was just passing it along. But, you know, so, you know, when I was in. Uh, so as a, a, look, I was considered a left wing radical in the Bay Area. You have to work hard to be considered a left wing radical in San Francisco and Berkeley and Oakland, but that's so I was. But that's where that stuff came from. Yeah, exactly. So I, I was in all of that in my twenties. When I got to my thirties, I burned out because it was just too many protests, too many, too many funerals with uh, you know community kids and who I work with or who I cared about in caskets and um, grown people with gray hair sitting up in the pews, like the opposite of how it's supposed to be. And we're just banging our heads against the wall, and I couldn't see how we could make a difference. So I burned out, and I decided to try and do something more positive for the community, bringing jobs. And we had just passed all of these solar bills and stuff in California. So I said, why don't we get these kids on the street corner jobs putting up the solar panels? Solar panels don't put themselves up. And these people are ordering all these solar panels, and they're taking three months, six months, nine months because nobody knows how to put them up. So I got the city of Oakland to start a program called the Green Jobs Corps to train these kids to put up solar panels. Nancy Pelosi found out about it. She had just become Speaker of the House the first time. She said, bring Van Jones to Washington, D.C. I was a nobody. I was a local activist mm. to talk to all of my Democratic Congress members about this idea. George W. Bush then signs a bill called the Green Jobs Act to spread my little program in Oakland all across the country. That's 2007. 2008, I wrote a book about it. The book became a bestseller. People on Barack Obama's team read the book. 2009, I'm in the White House. So I go from being a frontline grassroots activist in like a two-year period to being in the White House. So the, when the right-wing media figured, I said, wait, I was like, this dude, <laughs> Mr. F the police, Mr. Suing cops, Mr. You know, down with the system is now in the White House? No, this is not going to work. So then I, so, so I said, so Prince saved my life because when I left the Obama White House, he picked me up. How do you perceive that? You perceive that all from your hard work? Do you think that happened because you work hard? Well, what do you think? No, no, it's the, I just want to know what you think. Do you think that happened because you were grinding and working hard? It felt like, I, like all of a sudden I was like walking down the street and I put my foot down on what I thought was the asphalt. And it was like a magic carpet, and it just took off. And all of a sudden, I'm in places I've never been. I'm seeing people I would never thought I would meet. Uh, I don't know. I know what this is now. You're in mm. your fifties now, right? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's your that's your mission. Figure out all this stuff. Why is this shit going on? It's not going to stop. You got to figure it out. Mm. Why is this going? On? I'm I'm thinking that too, right? I'm I'm thinking this. I came in here. Three years ago, I'm all, they decided to make this show. I thought this is a fucking joke. I'm gonna be an asshole. I'll be a fucker. Uh, and then so um, we get a guest that's a what's he a shaman? Shaman. A shaman. I don't know what a shaman. That that sounds Jewish to me. Right? <laughs> so um, I'm just checking him out. So he's talking about this toad and this venom and stuff. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, let me see this shit. And he said, well, you can't do it right here. I said, what kind of shit you talking about? You can't do it. Because I'm used to just doing drugs, oh, smoke, sniff, whatever. It's right here. And so he said, we have to wait till he's, and he said, Mike, wait till the show. And he likes to stay in a crack pipe. He's like some toad venom. I smoke it because I'm a fucking um, drug a fucking aficionado. And I smoke. <laughs> 
but it goes out and I die. And I die and um that is the most profound moment in my life. There's never been in my life, not even my children. There's never been nothing that profound. The experience that I've seen or felt. And, and I've did it nine times since then. And um, this one particular time, it just felt like I felt all the pain that I caused everybody that I've experienced in my life. It caused pain. I felt the pain. It was humiliating. I, it's just, um, I thought I'm a tough guy. I think I'm a bad motherfucker. I saw the God of War. And I fucking disintegrated in his presence. I was nothing. I and I guess I never looked at people the same. I treated them the same ever since. Hmm. And that's, that's the closest I've ever felt to experience anything divinely or godly. Hmm. And every time you do it, it's a different experience. It's not like you get prepared for it. Hmm. It's always taking you somewhere else. I um yeah I don't I don't I I feel I feel that I have a calling on my life. Mm. I feel that's that, what I wanted to get in touch. I want you to get in touch with that that calling. Why do you feel you had that? Calling? Who gave you that calling? I, you I, had to see somebody. I I remember being a child, and I would always want to go in the backyard at night and lie down on my back and look up at the stars. Like I said, we didn't have streetlights. So you could see literally every star. And I'd be out there, and my, my mom would, I could see her opening that they had a glass door, you know, like a, like a back door. And she'd be like, Anthony, because my name is Anthony. Anthony, get in this house. And I would say, I'm praying, Mom, I'm praying. She goes, you can pray in your bed, get in this house. But there was just something I, I just felt, and I was probably like six, seven, I just felt, the presence of God, I felt that that was something I was supposed to do. I felt when I would, when I was a child, they would they would show us, um, you know, Bobby Kennedy and Dr. King and these guys, and you forget like now they've been dead for so long, it's like not that big of a deal. But if you're born in '68, that's the year they were killed. So when you're in kindergarten, that's just five years ago. Now imagine if somebody killed Obama right now, a child that was born that year, five years later, they've never they don't know. So I remember this kid named Patrick Carmody in my kindergarten class asked my teacher, Miss Brown, who was Bobby Kennedy? Mm. And she started crying like a baby. And I'd never seen an adult cry. I didn't even really know that adults could cry, you know, because I was so you stopped crying. So, and I was like, whoa. And I asked my mom, and she was stumbling around her words and stuff. And I just felt, again, that these guys died the year I was born. Bobby Kennedy was trying to do something positive. Dr. King was trying to do something positive. For some reason, it felt like I was supposed to take up their cause. But it's not rational because other kids heard the same thing, read the same thing, and didn't, they didn't do what I'm doing. So all I can say is that my whole life, I never had to guess what I was going to do. I always knew I was going to work for justice, help people, you know, write and fight. That was the two things I wanted to do. I was too nerdy to fight, but in my mind, I was preparing so I feel like there's a calling on my life. I feel almost now, like I said, I have nothing else to prove. I, I, I've already, I've gotten four presents in a row to do something positive that I believed in. And the world is in shambles and all this stuff is happening, all this polarization. I don't care what the Republicans or Democrats think. I don't care what white or black think. I just want, that's where I'm stuck. 
I, I, there's, there's, a, there's a prayer that's trying to come through me that I've got to get myself completely cleaned out and, and, and able to channel so I can really find out what God wants for me to do going forward. I can, yeah, I can take that. Mm. I can take that. Well, Van, you're the man, dude. Oh, well, thank you're you. You're the fucking it. man. Thank you for coming here. Well, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate the opportunity and, you know, and have me back. And like I said, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm literally at a spiritual crossroads and I'm praying for God to give me, to give me my next set of directions and orders. And, you know, uh, this has been powerful. I mean, I didn't, I mean, well, you just met Mike, so yeah, that's exactly. the first that's step. That's the first step. That's the first step. <laughs> <laughs> Television, too. My mother-in-law was saying, oh, he's so awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. I always love your perspective, man. Yeah. Because corporate media sucks, I have to say. It, it's, it's not, it's not uh, public radio or, you know, the stuff I love, still what I love, I love Sesame Street. I love. <laughs> no doubt. You know, I love Mr. Rogers. I love the electric company because. TV was Remember like. We see Morgan Freeman on Electric Company back Yeah, in the day. exactly. Back yeah. in the day, you know what I mean? That stuff was awesome. Skinny Morgan Freeman. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And, and, but you think about it because TV, when we were growing up, was like a wasteland of like cartoon violence and ca- cowboy shoot em oh, yeah, up and stuff. Yeah. And they had these couple of Popeye, shows. Popeye, Bluto. Yeah, just smashing Yeah. The, and everything, yeah. it's like, it was all violent and crazy. And then they had a couple of shows. They said, yeah. no, we're going to use television for good. Yeah. And that's in my heart. I want to use TV for good. And so I appreciate CNN. They let the Van Jones show. They call it Sesame Street for grown people. Like I try to Love bring it. people together. They let me do the redemption project where I was showing people coming together who, you know, one had committed a crime. The other would have been the victim. We brought them together. Uh, Incarceration Incorporated podcast. They let me do. So CNN keeps letting me do that's positive awesome. stuff. It's great. Um, but it's tough because it's, um, you know, it is, it's, it's a very, very negative media environment right now. And we got to, we gotta keep we gotta keep our candle lit for good. Yeah, we gotta no keep our doubt. candle lit. So we'll keep doing it, man. Hey, brother, thank keep you. Keep spreading the truth. Thank you, brother. Keep spreading your message. This is so awesome. Yeah, man. You got thank our you. support, hey, man. Hey, Any hey. way that we can support you oh, no, and I'm everything ask, you're don't doing. Don't worry. Oh, hey, listen. When it's time, awesome. when it's time to fight, I call on all forces. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Tell the people what yeah. they can do, where they can find yeah. you, and what you That's good. Um, need uh, for them to do. Yes, yeah, listen. Uh, uh, reformalliance.com. Just you can go there. You can sign up. You can be a part of what we're doing. I'm proud to be a part of uh, the, the Cut 50 movement. Uh, CUT50.org is also a great organization. But the main thing is, in your own life, uh, if you can give a job to somebody, consider somebody who's formerly incarcerated. Consider somebody who's you know from a, a tough neighborhood. If you, you know, if you've got a school that you're running or a program, include people. Just because somebody did something uh, and got caught that you probably did when you were in college, uh, don't leave them out. Love it, man. Thank you, right. again. So what are you saying? What the world needs more now is love, sweet love, huh? Amen. Yeah, I agree. Remember that. Amen. Mike. Yes. Great show, bro. Brilliant show. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful Amen. episode. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this special episode of Hot Box. Yes, and I have my mother-in-law right here because she came to see the Van Jones show. <laughs> Say hi to the people out there, Ma. Hi. There's millions of people looking at you, my way now. Millions of people. I love that. They, they, they got good genes in that family. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> good genes, good people. Yeah. Awesome. Well, until next time, everybody, I'm Evan Britton. And I'm Mike Tyson. We're out of here. See ya.